today and thank you for uh, bringing us together as your people. It is very special that we can be here together. It's a great gift that you've given us and we really thank you for that. Um, thank you for the fun we have, the encouragement we have and most of all for your word that we can hear it and respond to it in faith and obedience today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right now, uh, across the world, Olympic hopefuls Oh, I should stop, shouldn't I, for a minute? If the Olympics goes ahead, that's the that's the the uh, the point we're at right now. But anyway, I'm presuming that Olympic hopefuls they are preparing. They're in training to win the prize. That's what they're doing right now, hoping that they will indeed be running, swimming, kicking a ball, whatever it might be, surfing even. Take Australian swimmer. Ariane Titmus. Now, I don't know if you've heard of her. Let me tell you a bit about her. See, she's, um, she's 18. She's a 200-metre swimmer and a 400-metre swimmer, and she's very, very good. Uh, she's got a real shot, a real shot at Olympic gold, uh, if her form was anything to go by leading into this year and, and uh, the last few events. But being awarded an Olympic gold medal doesn't come out of the blue. Ariane has been around for a while. Much has happened to bring her to this point in her career. See, no doubt, a healthy diet, that's been part of it too, hasn't it? Um, And of course, part of that, having a healthy diet, is rejecting junk food. So I don't think Ariane is a big Macca's eater. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, There's also been a strict training regime. So with, with very, very early mornings... Now, why is it that swimmers train very early in the morning? What is wrong with them? What, what is wrong with 4pm? Or two, can, if Someone can answer that question for me later on and be great. But why do they have to train at 5am? Anyway, that's just my little um, beef for a minute. But to do that, to, do, to get up at 4am in the morning and go swimming every morning, you need to have some self-discipline, don't you? You need to have some perseverance. So she's got that. And to win gold, of course, on the day, well, she's going to have to perform. She'll have to have a clear focus of what's needed to swim her best. And she may well have to swim her personal best to, in fact, get the gold medal, to get the great result at the end. Now, as we turn to 1 Timothy 4, I want to say that all of these different ingredients which make an Olympic champion also need to be seen in the life of a good minister of Christ Jesus. But not for the sake of a gold medal, but for the sake of a prize worth, well, of much greater worth than than gold. So, how important is it for church leaders to be growing, to be seeking to grow in godliness? How important is it for church leaders to be devoted to God's word? What should be the aim of a minister? Now, that word minister actually means servant. And if you've got your own Bible today, you might, you might even say servant. Uh, it's translated that way as well. So we mustn't think me, although that's me, part of it is me, but we also any church leader, servant of Christ Jesus. So what should be the aim of being a minister of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus? Well, as we saw last week, appointing church leaders is an important task. There's so much space dedicated to that, to Christian leadership in 1 Timothy. And Paul wants Timothy to not only appoint faithful leaders in Ephesus, but he wants Timothy to be a worked example for the church so that they can see how leadership is to be carried out in practice. So Paul wants the church to follow Timothy's example. 
God wants his church to be ambitious about Christian leadership. So here's the essence of this letter. This is what it really comes down to, if you like. The essence of 1 Timothy is that it's a letter addressed to Timothy, but it's for the church. That's how we ought to think about it. It's a letter addressed to Timothy, but it's for the church. So today, our focus is really going to be on chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. But in verses 1 to 5, Paul tells us that we can expect false teachers in these last days. The last days is a reference to the days before Jesus returns. So we're in the last days, same as Paul was. And false teachers, well, this false teaching will take the form of denying the goodness of God. And so if you look at verse 3, by focusing on, uh, well, they deny the goodness of God by focusing on the physical things. So they didn't allow certain foods or the social things. They don't allow marriage. And we talked about that last week a bit. These false teachers were getting their priorities upside down, leading God's people into lies and deceit. And so it's the task of of faithful church leaders like Timothy to call people back to the truth and a reliance on God's word, and with it, godliness, in order to lead people to claim the greatest of all prizes, and that is eternal life with Jesus. So if you look on your outline, you can see what I've done is I've split up into two sections. Uh, There's the public and there's the private life of the church leader. And under those headings, there's three sort of sub-points, if you like. There's life Doctrine, doctrine just means teaching, and all the while sharing a focus on salvation. So let's get into it. This personal life of a good minister or a good servant of Christ Jesus. Let's pick things up in verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister, servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you've followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. So, like an Olympic athlete... Timothy's got to eat well. He's got to eat well, right? He must be feeding on God's word, nourished on the truths of the faith, on good teaching, or doctrine is the other word for that. This is the spiritual diet of a good servant of Christ Jesus, the diet that will truly sustain them and keep them going through the ups and downs of church leadership. Now, right now, I'm having a crack at the CSIRO total wellbeing diet. Now, the problem with telling people that you're on a diet is no one gives you treats anymore. So please, I like treats. You can, it's moderation. I'm failing at my diet already, aren't I? Oh, well. You can still make me banana cakes, as some people in the church like to do, and I love that. It's lovely. Anyway, so I'm having a crack at this diet, right? And um, I'm not quite sure. I haven't been brave enough to see if I've lost any weight yet. But um, that's probably the point, isn't it? Anyway, I'll, st- I'll keep trying. So um, I've actually used it in the past, and I've had some success. That's been good. It's not like one of those crazy all-you-eat-is-meat diets, you know, those, those diets. Just eat meat the whole time, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, or become a fruitarian. Anyone done a fruitarian diet? I quite like fruit, so maybe that will work. But uh, not a good idea. Or there's the, there's the two days on and one day off diet. Now, I have enough trouble remembering what day it is already, so I'm not going to be able to do that one. This, this one, the CSIRO one, tends to work for me, and they have a nice book with coloured pictures and so on, so it's good. Now, but whatever diet you choose, and I'm not recommending diets, by the way, do whatever you want, but if you do one, I, I, junk food will not be recommended. They don't have a day of week of eating junk food. It, uh, you won't find that in a, in a good diet. Um, and don't believe those silly articles that say, I ate Maccas for six months and I lost eight kilograms. I don't believe it. Sorry, no. Uh, 
Paul's analogy here is the same, right? Timothy, or church leaders, have to feed on the good stuff and avoid eating the bad stuff. A good diet. So he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, any type of false teaching. Now I take it that godless myths and old wives' tales are the type of teaching that may come across as spiritual but have no grounding in God's word. Now that type of thing is alive and well today, even in our little town here. Watch out. So a good servant of Christ Jesus steers clear of the junk food and instead feeds on the good teaching of God's word. And when we know the good food, well, what happens when you know good food? When you're informed about good food, you know your stuff and what's good, you also know what's bad, don't you? You can pick out the bad stuff. We'll be able to distinguish truth from error. Now, friends, this reminds us again of the importance of church and hearing God's word taught. It reminds us of the importance of reading the Bible together, so being part of a small group. It reminds us of the importance of personal Bible reading, reading a, or reading a good Christian book. I try to have one Christian, I'm reading a Christian book on the go at some point. Now, I've got a bit of, I, I, that's part of my work as well, but um, uh, I recommend it. If you're stuck on a good Christian book to read, I can give you heaps of examples of uh, just reading your Bible and read along a good Christian book. At the moment, I'm going through a bunch of books by a guy called Sam Albury. He's a, um, a pastor from the UK. He's written some really good books on tricky uh, problems to do with sexuality. Sexuality is such a defining feature of our, our world right now. So I finished a book on transgender. Uh, it was a good book, short, but yeah, it was good. Uh, he's written one on church, which I'm going to start reading, and then there's another one on... on um, uh, it, it's called Why Does God Care Who We Sleep With? Anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. So I've just I've followed a bit of a theme... Um, and I'll get off that theme soon. Uh, so, be ambitious about those things. Church, meeting together, reading God's word, and so on. Uh, but Timothy is, to gu- is, is not only to guard against false teaching by sound and healthy teaching, that good diet, but he's to guard against false teaching well, by godliness. By godliness. That's how he guards against false teaching. So, have a look at uh, verse 7. The second half of verse 7, he says, See that, rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. So godly living is the natural outworking of a life shaped by God's word. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, how does this happen, this godly living? Well, we can see it there by training. So Ariane Titmus didn't just jump in the pool yesterday and, and then become a world-class swimmer. No, 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 she's been training those ridiculous early mornings, remember? Again and again and again she's been training. See, physical training is about developing and strengthening particular muscles in order to be good, in, in good physical condition and often requires hard work and regular exercise in order to see significant process, uh, progress. So doing a session, I'm, I'm putting on my you know, old PE teacher's hat on here, if you do a session once a fortnight, it's going to have very limited value at all. Uh, it's not really going to be that good for you. It won't cut it. You'll get very little benefit. But to, to see results, you need to exercise more regularly, don't you? 
you've got to get out and go for your walk more than once a week. You've got to do it a few times. Same for Timothy or anyone aiming to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Timothy is to work regularly at developing godly attitudes. Now, such as those, look at verse 12, the sort of attitudes we see in verse 12. Speech in love and faith and purity so that he can see his spiritual progress. Remember, not perfection, but progress. That's what we ought to expect out of our Christian leaders. That's what we ought to be ambitious for. And this pays off, not only now, but in the life to come, in eternity. But we'll get back to that in a moment. See, we don't train in godliness for no reason. Training with no purpose, uh, it never really works. Having a purpose works, aiming for something. We train with not only a view to now, but an end view, the life to come. As I said, we'll come back to that soon. Now, friends, I, I, I know, you know, I, I, like to tr- I like to train, physical training. Um, I like to keep fit. I like to feel strong. I've always liked that, even since I was very, very young. Um, and uh, I'm really thankful for that because I need it. <laughs> Physically, I need it. It's good for my heart and all my lungs. Um, but it's actually not the training that's best for me. The training that's best for me is training in godliness. That's the training that's best for me. Let me show you a little rule that helps people like me. So if you struggle a bit with, and I know there's a few of you who, like, who are a bit like me in this way, who think about physical training a fair bit, but also think and read this verse and think training in godliness, uh, how am I going with that? Uh, let me show you my rule. You take it on board if you like, write it down. Whatever you like, make a bumper sticker out of it, whatever you like. Here it is. So train for eternity, not for the temporary. So when I go to the gym, I'm going to try to have this in my mind. Train for eternity, not for the temporary. In other words, my training in godliness must outweigh, I think, in time and effort and focus, any physical training. Makes, you think, makes me think anyway, I don't know about you. What does it say when I get it the other way around? when my physical training outweighs my training in godliness. What does that say? It's, I don't think it says very good things. Now, you might say at this point, well, it's easy for you. You're the pastor of the church. You know, well, I actually, not, I'm, not talk, I'm not thinking about my church work at all, to be honest, I'm, 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 or any preparation for sermons, anything like that, any theological reading. I, I'm thinking right now of my own personal Bible reading, my own prayer life, um, my own reading a good Christian book, my own meeting with a friend regularly to pray, it's that sort of thing I'm thinking about. And you, maybe you could add in too, uh, church for you. But for me, I, I love church and it's a great privilege to be here, but it's very much part of my job. If I didn't turn up here, I'm allowed to have holidays, but if I didn't, didn't turn up the whole time, you'd, you'd worry, wouldn't you? Probably seek, talk to the wardens and tap them on the shoulder and say, it's time, we move this guy on. Anyway, okay. Let's keep going. Paul, Paul continues, and, he, and it actually follows on from verse 8. If you've got your Bible open, you can see the end of verse 8 there. Uh, then he says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labour and strive, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. We'll get to that word especially in a moment. So... To get to the finish line, well, we labour and strive. You see those words? So in terms of Christian leadership, well, Timothy's going to have to work on his sermons, work hard on that. He's going to have to prepare well for his public teaching ministry in Ephesus. He'll need to train in godliness again and again because the stakes are high. 
You see that? For the salvation of his hearers. Now, God, God has a role in this too, though, you see. God is saviour. No matter what we've done, no matter what our past, what we, when, um, when we believe in him, we are saved. And the point here is it's a great assurance. Timothy needed to be reminded of that. And he needed to remind of the church of that. We need to be reminded of that. That God is saviour. Now, the word especially in verse 10, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? How does that work? Well, I think Paul's point is simply, his, his point is the assurance of salvation for believers that believers received. Uh, received. That, that's the point, assurance of salvation. Uh, nothing more than that. Uh, that's the end game, if you like. We labour and strive with this in view. Okay, let's now move on to this public life of the good servant of Christ Jesus. We're talking about Christian leadership again. Something we should be ambitious for. We learned that in the last week. So what about the public life? Well, we go to verse 11 this time. Um, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. So Timothy is to command and teach these things by setting an example to God's people. That's how Christian leadership works. That's how it works. But he can only teach about maintaining a spiritually nourishing diet if he also does that himself, can't he? He's got to do it himself. He can only encourage others in growing in godliness if he too is seeking to do just that. Timothy was still young. We think he was probably early 30s. That's an educated guess. So there was a possibility that some senior figures in the church uh, would ignore his teaching simply because of his age. But what is Paul encourages Timothy here that what matters more than age, can you see it? What matters more than age is godliness. That's what matters. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. And that's a list that looks like a lot looks like the qualities of the overseer. Remember last week in chapter three? And in contrast to the ungodliness of the of the um, false teachers described throughout this letter. Now, there's been a, a fair bit of teaching about elders, haven't there, in this, in this book? Elders or overseers, that word we can use interchangeably. And, and perhaps if you're a young person here today, or you're a younger person, you might be thinking, you, know, well, you might be feeling a bit left out. Why so much talk about older people and elders and leaders and so on? Overseers. Perhaps you're thinking, well, then leadership's not my job. It's not my job. I'm, I'm not setting an example. Not my job. I'm a young person. I leave it to those guys to do that. Look what Paul says here. He says something quite different, doesn't he? He says, set an example as a young person in believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. It, it is your job. I um, come across now and then these great pictures, little memes, whatever they are, on, um, on Facebook or just on, on wherever you, you know, wherever they might be, Instagram, of uh, of their their pictures. Well, well they're, they're pictures of, of people saying, "Not my job." I don't know if you've seen them. So these workers will not do anything extra, no matter how obvious and sometimes quite simple, to get the job done. Let me show these for a bit of a laugh. Here's the first one. I love this one. It's been around for a while. Not my job. It's a stick. Yeah, not my job. Nope. Um, this one here is pretty cool. You've got to read it for a minute. Can you see it? 
There's the cycle path. Give cyclists space. Yeah, not my job to move that sign. No way. Um, how about these two? Sorry, it's a bit gruesome. But I've seen, I've seen a, a wombat in Robertson, the, um, a, a lion go over the front of the wombat, dead wombat, a bit sad really. Not my job. Uh, is there any more? Oh, that might be it, sorry. Um, see, I want to say, young people, right, be ambitious about godliness, about Christian leadership, about setting an example. Paul says to Timothy, who well, actually says step up really, um, young people, step up. It is your job, just as much as older people, to set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Okay, as we've seen, and, and as with any good servant of Christ Jesus, Timothy must feed on God's word, God's word privately, good diet. Not only will this shape his godliness, but it will shape and sharpen his public ministry of preaching God's word until Paul comes back. That's the, the idea anyway. So, uh, verse 13 then, under this little heading of doctrine again, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Uh, so, let me ask you a question then. What should you look for when you join a church? What should you look for? Say you're moving away at some point and you've got to find a new church. Uh, what should you look for? Well, look at verse 13 again. You look for a devotion to the public reading of Scripture. That's the first thing you look for. To teaching the Word, to preaching the Word of God. You look for leaders who are devoted to that. Not the latest fads. Not the... Not, not, cultural sensitivities or, or whiz-bang music, but simply a devotion to the word of God. Now, you know, it shocked me, I don't know when it was, a little while ago, it shocked me to hear, and probably would shock you as well, because you're so used to having the Bible read, which is a really good thing. But it shocked me to hear that most churches, and not so much in the Sydney Anglican Diocese, I'm proud to say, but most churches don't have a, public, a Bible reading. They don't do it. They don't have a Bible reading at all. Just a plain old simple Bible reading. Friends, um, if you ever need to move church for a job or whatever it might be, you know, um, you know you're sick of the minister, all that sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> if you ever need to do that, well, then you look for a church that is committed to the public reading of Scripture. Okay. And what we call it, it's a Bible-based ministry, isn't it? So that the ministry of the church is securely rooted in God's word at every point. Well, finally, in verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So keep your focus on the God of salvation. Timothy's encouraged to work at it, to persevere, to keep going, to be diligent with his life and doctrine as the stakes are high his salvation of those and of his hearers. So Paul longs for Timothy and the church at Ephesus to not shipwreck their faith. And church leadership is about encouraging that so it doesn't happen, so they won't abandon their faith. Strive at it, persevere in it, keep going. Because church leaders, servants of Christ Jesus, will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's tie a few things together. 
See, friends, this, this whole passage features an urgent call from Paul to Timothy to lead the church in such a way that the whole church reaches its glorious final destination. So I want you to imagine for a moment, imagine a, a, um, a group of hikers walking up a, a, a mountain, right? So let's go with Kosciuszko. Now, if you're from Canada, of course, that's a small hill, but it's pretty big for us. Um, so you're walking up Kosciuszko. What's the, what's the tallest um, Canadian mountain? Oh, I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. Yes, it's, a, it's got snow on it and stuff all year round. Yeah, it's a, we, we don't know that sort of feeling. Um, yeah. Sharon, you remember? Tallest mountain in Canada? Aha, uh-huh. Yukon. They named a car after that. Yeah. That's another, that's a different car, different country. So we don't imagine that for a moment. You're walking up this big mountain, that's just part of it. Maybe it's in the background over there. Now, so you're, you're, you're leading a group of walkers, that's what you're doing, up to the summit of this high mountain. As the leader, you'll need to be reasonably well-nourished, won't you? Pretty well-fed and possess a good level of fitness in order to get to the summit yourself. You've got to be able to do that. And at the same time, you need to lead by example and you need to lead well by giving clear directions from the map at every, every turn in the path. And as you do this, well, you're watching out for stragglers, you're checking the weather or any other personal needs, and there'll be steady progress together until you reach the summit with glorious views all around. So this is Paul's charge to Timothy, and it's God's charge to church leaders or anyone who wants to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Timothy will not be in a position to lead unless he's well-fed on God's word and growing in godliness. His task with the church is to set an example of godly living and give clear directions through devoting himself to the the preaching of God's word. And as he keeps watch over everything, well, so he under God will lead hearers to the greatest of all prizes, better than any gold medal, and eternity with our Lord and Saviour. How about we pray? Father, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for your word. We pray that... um, as we thought about last week and a bit today as well, we'd be ambitious about church leadership and so we'd be ambitious about uh, growing in godliness and knowing your word. Lord, we ask that as, we, um, as, as a servant of Christ Jesus, Lord, we would be people um, ambitious about Christian leadership that, that lead and direct and grow and know you better and better. And Lord, we thank you for church. We thank you for the privileges to be here together today. In Jesus' name, amen.